This is the e-learning podcast, episode number 29. If we're the world's you know, biggest technology services organization, why is none of our training online? Yeah. I was like, oh, that's, that's a really good question. <laughs> I, I literally went back to my hotel room that night, uh, Googled online learning, uh, subscribed to uh, Litmos, the SaaS LMS that night, and, and we started provisioning out our first online training. Welcome to the e-learning podcast from LMSPulse.com. My name is Stephen Laddick, and I'm the director of LMS Pulse. My guest for today's episode is Chip Reeves. He's an IT veteran and president for almost 10 years of Bigger Brains. Bigger Brain's vast library of high-quality video-based courses on a variety of corporate training issues has received awards every year since at least 2015. And with BrainBot, a chatbot that periodically quizzes you about past courses taken, it adds spaced repetition to the mix to multiply the value of content. In this conversation, Chip and I talk about the highlights and perils of producing corporate training content during a pandemic, and whether or not you've been committing e-learning malpractice. We also talk about what it takes to adapt from classroom to online, from recorded to live, from Microsoft to Google, from lectures to microlearning, and much more. We also talk about the challenge of adapting to young mindsets and the enormous rewards that await you. Or as a millennial learning with Chip says, old people want to be paid with money. Young people want to be paid with time. We also talk about Chip's adventures in microlearning and how, despite the seemingly small number of variables at play, there is still a lot of room for creativity and rigorous experimentation. But before we get started, a quick word from our sponsors. The eLearning Podcast is sponsored by the eLearning Success Summit. Learn from more than 40 experts how to teach, work, and learn online without being overwhelmed. Get your free ticket to the summit at eLearningSuccessSummit.com and lmspulse.com, your best source for news, information, and resources for e-learning professionals for more than 10 years. Get our free roundup of the week's top news at lmspulse.com. Hello, Chip. Welcome to the show. Hey, Stephen. It's great to be here. Uh, where do we find you sitting today? <laughs> I'm in my office in uh, Anderson, South Carolina. So we're on the um, western side of South Carolina, kind of in between Atlanta and Greenville. Fantastic. I have been to South Carolina. I love South Carolina. Gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. Um, you are the president of an organization called Bigger Brains. Um, we haven't had you on the show before. You weren't a part of the eLearning Success Summit, unfortunately. Um, but maybe next time, maybe you'll be a part of the next one. Uh, so why don't you introduce yourself to our audience and just kind of tell us about who you are, Bigger Brains, and then we'll kind of dive in from there. Sure. So uh, I'm Chip Reeves. Uh, my background is mostly in IT. I've uh, started four different uh, IT businesses, uh, and then Bigger Brains would be the fifth. Uh, all of those were in more technology services. Bigger Brains was really originally started as a platform for IT consultants to use to sell training to their clients. Uh, and then uh, really starting about 2014, we branched out. And uh, today we primarily do uh, off-the-shelf uh, e-learning packages for big corporations. A lot of Microsoft Office training, workplace harassment, the usual type stuff. Mm, awesome. And so right now, South Carolina, you know, we're recording this for posterity in uh, early September, September 3rd uh, in 2020. What's your COVID experience been like? Are you still in lockdown? Um, you know, is, are people going back to work? How is this, you know, are you still drinking from a fire hose or what's the deal? <laughs> It, well, it, it's very mixed because around here, 
you know, we were one of the parts of the country where people maybe didn't take the virus as seriously as, as other parts of the country. And so we never fully locked down, um, but we did switch all of our staff to work from home uh, about mid-March or so. Uh, I still come in the office uh, because um, my desk here is nicer than my desk at home and I only live five minutes away. So, you know, what the heck? Uh, and then we opened up, as far as bigger brains, we opened up again uh, probably early June, late May um, to allow people uh, on a limited basis to come work in the office if they want to. Uh, we had shut down, we have a video studio. We shut down the video studio as well in March and we started some limiting fil limited filming with a lot of sanitization practices uh, also about the end of May. So uh, today we're, you know, production's about half capacity, but the rest of the business is, is back to, you know, back to normal. Really, we were kind of already in a mostly work from home environment. We use a lot of Microsoft Teams. Everybody's kind of used to working from home. We have some staff kind of scattered around the globe. So it wasn't that big of a change for us, thankfully. Super cool. I mean, I, I tell people that myself. I mean, I've been working remotely virtually since before that was a real savvy thing. You know, <laughs> I'm like, what's the problem? I've been doing this forever. But, you know, I guess when you when you add, you know, three billion people to that mix, it's, you know, there's going to be some variability there. Um, what about your clients? Uh, have were you already virtual with with your clients? Were you showing up in person or were you already sort of in a mode where everything was delivered online? Everything was, you know, uh, virtuosity was just the key and so that didn't really change your business or 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 has there been a blip no the, i mean the only the, the two only two things that changed for us were uh we used to do a lot of trade shows and obviously you know not a lot of trade shows this year um and we really we haven't done any of the virtual trade shows yet we've debated it and i know you know we want to support our partners in that and and um but it still didn't seem like it was a great fit for what we were trying to do uh, but we're looking at doing more of that you know as this thing you know, continues on into 2021. We do have some plans coming up later in the year and first part of next year. Uh, and then, you know, being an online training provider, when the world kind of moves to everything being online, uh, we saw demand kind of shoot through the roof uh, come March. I mean, it's it's funny if you look at the at the utilization on our server, you can kind of identify the day when everybody started working. <laughs> the, the graph just goes straight up all of a sudden in the middle of March. Uh, so that, that's been a little bit of a drinking from a fire hose situation, just making sure that, uh, number one, we had to ramp up our infrastructure to make sure that we were able to, you know, supply all the videos and everything and, and not have any hosting glitches. Uh, and then just, you know, helping new clients get on board, uh, helping them get the materials they need for their uh, for their employees and, and that sort of thing. Mm, awesome. Yeah, the, the reason why I asked that question is, you know, we... For instance, on the summit, we had uh, the folks over at uh, Big Blue Button, if you're familiar with that plugin mm. for Moodle. Um, and m one of my favorite quotes from the summit was he said, you know, we went from about 400 downloads to 12,000 a day. You know, like he's like literally, it was such a uh, overwhelming experience that it was, it was just so stark. Um, you've you know, you produce content for a long time and you've, I mean, Bigger Brains actually won a bunch of awards for the stuff that you've done. What, I, what I'm really interested in, in hearing out is, you know, you're, you're focused in the corporate market. What would you say to people right now who are interested in producing training, who are either building it for themselves or buying packages from you or whatever? Um, what, what should be people be doing for, you know, converting things to online uh, in their businesses or, or in, their, in their institutions? Yeah, well, the um, <laughs> so I've got some great advice for that, which is uh, don't do what I did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. My background was, so the way I got into e-learning was uh, I used to run an organization called Computer Troubleshooters. We were a, a global technology services company. And uh, this is back in the mid, well, all of the 2000s. We started in 99 and I sold it in 2012. 
And somewhere around 2008, 2009, uh, we had one of our annual conferences and everybody got together. It was in Phoenix, Arizona. I remember that. And at, at the end of the conference, we would have this session where I would let anybody, you know, ask questions to me and the leadership team. And somebody said, you know, hey, if we're the world's you know, biggest technology services organization, why is none of our training online? Yeah. I was like, oh, that's, that's a really good question. <laughs> I, I literally went back to my hotel room that night, uh, Googled online learning, uh, subscribed to uh, Litmos, the SaaS LMS that night. And, and we started provisioning out our first online training. But here's what I did wrong. Uh, we, had, we had been doing webinars. You know, that, that was kind of a normal thing. And we did a lot of our um, new product training, a lot of kind of uh, you know, business process training we would do in webinars. So I just took the recordings of the webinars, stuck them on the LMS, Boom, you got your e-learning. Hey, you've got a course. Come on, you've got a course. That's the way it works. Yeah, and, and then I thought, well, I, I, I want something a little more interactive. So we had our classroom training at our facility in Atlanta. So I bought a video camera and stuck it in the back of the room. Uh, and just whenever they were teaching classes, which of course were six hour all day classes, I would just start the camera recording and I would take those recordings and I would throw those in the LMS. Worst possible way you can do online training is to try to, to reprovision some of that sort of material. I'm not saying you can't reprovision it, you can, but there's a huge difference in how people um, expect to consume and actually consume uh, e-learning or online training versus what we do in these other modalities. Um, and what I've learned over the years is the biggest difference is the granularity. Mm. Um, you know, you, if you're preparing a, a classroom training, you've got an hour, Two give me, hours, give me two a hours. specific example as well. I mean, are you mostly in compliance or you are, I, I think you actually said Excel and Word and these kinds of things too. Like, can you break that down in like, you know, for a typical corporate training, like how would you break that apart and get it what you'd say like granular? Yeah, sure. Great example. So, and we're actually working with, because uh, we have a very large library in Microsoft topics. We're not as strong in Google topics. So we have a new teacher coming on board now who's going to be teaching Google topics and he's a very experienced classroom trainer. And so we're going through the process of working with him and adapting what he's used to doing in the classroom, uh, or he also does some like online virtual training uh, and adapting that for e-learning. Uh, and the biggest thing is the, the time differential, you know, so you, you've got this curricula of what you do in a classroom environment and you've got, you know, two hours or six hours, however long the class is to, to you know, work through this material and, and you, you break it up with some you know, breaks during the day and some activities and some, maybe some small group breakouts or, you know, whatever the topic lends itself to, but it's still kind of a six hour day or a two hour day or whatever it is. You know, in e-learning, you're really looking at, you know, three to seven minutes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I, mean, I, I, so I, I say that like, that's unusual. I, we know this, but still today we see it with my children who are doing online classes right now. And we see it with, you know, not like corporate training, but also the higher education space, which is where a large portion of our audience is from. You know, we can we can talk about that separately, but okay, so you break it down five to seven minutes. Yeah, no, we, we did a we did a little short update video last week for some of our sales staff, and it was it was six and a half minutes, uh, and the feedback was that's too long. We need it shorter, so we cut it into two three minute videos and, and you know, sent it back up. <laughs> But Those are salespeople. Come on, what? Are Don't listen to them. No, <laughs> there is some weird, uh, and I, I do the same thing. You know, if you're looking at YouTube or looking at Facebook or, or whatever, and you're scrolling through some videos, you know, you see an interesting looking video. One of the first things I do now is look at how long it is, and if it's more than five minutes, and I, you know, I, I don't, I don't have that time, that kind of time to commit to it. Absolutely. Um, 
Well, and also anybody who's spent any time in digital marketing will tell you you've got three seconds, right? Exactly. On a exactly. Facebook feed or on a Twitter feed or a LinkedIn feed, quite literally, you've got, you know, and now TikTok has just, I mean, I'm sure has crushed <laughs> that down to a second and a half at this stage, but. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to check out that. Isn't there, there's some new video service, Quibi or something, where it's like TV shows that are five minutes long. I haven't looked at that. I hear it's not doing particularly great. I haven't, I haven't heard that one. I admit my, I admit my ignorance, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> I think the best quote that sums it up is um, we did some focus groups a few years ago where we, um, uh, it was probably 2015, 2016, somewhere in there. And we were specifically looking at millennials uh, and younger generations. And we wanted to see, you know, there's all this uh, talk about how they learn differently or how they have different expectations. We wanted to actually try to measure that and see, okay, from the training that we have, uh, which in our case was video-based learning, uh, generally in the five to 15 minute per lesson range. Uh, we wanted to see how that matched up with what they wanted. And one of the most interesting quotes that came out of it was um, one of the subjects, one of the participants said, uh, you know, us millennials, we don't want to be paid in money. We want to be paid in time. Mm. We don't want our time to be wasted on something that's not important to us. And I thought, that's, that's a really good way to look at it. Uh, and so when you're looking at taking that classroom training and converting it to e-learning, the first thing you have to tease out are what are the important parts and what kind of lends itself to a lesson, right? So you've got six hours of content, you have this big curricula, you have a training manual, maybe you're trying to get through. How do you actually break that up? And how big should the chunks be? Because what we did in the early days was we would break it into 10 to 15 minute chunks. Um, nope, turns out that's, that's too long. So yeah. now we look at five to eight minute chunks. Um, on the flip side though, we had a, a partner we work with that uh, their big mantra was everything had to be three minutes or less. And at the time, now this was 2015, and I wonder if it's still true, again, to your point in kind of the TikTok generation, but what they found was that was too short, uh, that people, when they sit down to learn something, if they're just getting 90 seconds or 120 seconds of training, and then they have to move on to the next lesson, that was a little too just too disjointed. So the sweet spot seems to be in the three to six minute range, three to seven minute range maybe, uh, you know, there's a little bit of flexibility depending on the topic. Some topics lend themselves to a little bit longer, but really nothing over 10 minutes. Mm. Uh, our rule now is whenever we're modifying, especially some of our older courses, if there's any lesson that's over 10 minutes, it's either going to get refilmed or split one of the two because wow. nobody's going to watch it. And so, and we're also talking like, I, I, right now we're talking about sort of the consumption of technical knowledge, right? With the consumption mm -hmm. of actual um, learning uh, objectives, right? Mm -hmm. For lack of a better term. What about the learning experience? Well, how's that been, especially here in COVID? So higher education is going through an existential crisis because students are saying, look, if I'm just going to be doing YouTube, I, mm -hmm. I ain't paying you 80,000 a year to do it, right? Uh, people are saying, look, I really, I really love going to the conference to hear the speakers, but you know, it's the, it's the hallway conversations that I, that I'm mm -hmm. going to be missing. Um, have you had any uh, discussions or have you found any pieces around that where, okay, great. It's like I go in and finding technical knowledge. Great. Micro learning, boom, 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 boom. But I also want that piece. And, and is there a way to replace that? Do we, do we just have to wait for that to come back? Is this, is this the normal now where social is different? Yeah, it's, I think we're all still trying to figure out how we do the social thing in this new environment. Right. I, I haven't seen anybody that's, uh, that's done a particularly good job of it. Obviously, there's there's you know certain things you can do, and and you know seeing faces on screen is better than not seeing faces on screen. 
Um, but I, I look at it with the, uh, are you familiar with the concept of the flipped classroom in, in the Absolutely. academic world? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I kind of look at it the same way. So the idea is that, you know, traditionally in a classroom environment, the teacher would uh, convey the knowledge and then send the students home with homework where they would actually practice what they learned. And a flipped classroom flips that. So the kids go home or the students go home uh, to learn the knowledge and then they come into the classroom to practice it. Um, I think you can look at the same sort of thing with the aspects of our training that need to be social, that need to be activity-based, that need to be practiced, where you can take the pieces that can be done e-learning, that can be done online, let's move those there and let's save the time that we've got, um, whether it's in a virtual environment, maybe some kind of a one-on-one -on -one tutoring situation, maybe it's a, a management one-on-one -on -one if you're in a corporate situation, or maybe it's uh, you know job shadowing, depending on what it is. Let's save those opportunities, not for conveying knowledge. Let's, let's put that on the e-learning system, because the e-learning system can usually do that fairly well, depending on what the subject is. And let's use those opportunities for the parts that need to be hands-on, that need to be social, that need to be you know personal. Mm, absolutely. What's, um, uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought that I'm going to have to edit that part out completely. Oh, I went to two places at the same time. Um, where, you know, where, what's your prediction? Are, are, are your, um, let me just, let me just re reset that. We've been talking a lot about your courses and we've been talking about the, you know, you, you produce all this content, a huge, huge content provider. How do I plug that into my corporate LMS that I've got right now? Is this a standalone system that I'm going to do? I want to talk a little bit more about your, your, your service specifically. Um, mm. Are you, are we taking content, you know, you're giving us SCORM files or H5P files or whatever, and we're putting it into our LMS or are we connecting to you or, or what, how does that work? Yeah. So it's, um, it's sort of an easy question and also sort of a, a challenging question because uh, yes, traditionally, uh, for us in particular, uh, you know, our customers buy our content generally in SCORM files uh, and it works in any SCORM compliant LMS. So we're handing off a, you know, a zip file or a library of zip files. Um, one of the things that we've been trying to adapt to is, uh, you know, there's this movement to take training beyond the LMS, right? You've got the you know, LXPs and the LRSs, but you've also got, you know, more opportunities to bring training into the workflow, right? To, to where it's um, not a distinct event where, uh, particularly in the case of an LMS where the user has to block off time during their day, um, go, go to a separate piece of software, remember a login for that software, maybe um, find the courses that have been assigned to them. You know, there's, some, there's some steps there. And if we want to make training easier, and if we want to build more of a, a culture of learning, we want to remove as many of those obstacles as we can. Mm. So how do, we, how do we make that easier for the learner? And, you know, certainly within the confines of an LMS and a SCORM format, I, I think we've done all we can. Uh, we've done some, uh, we have some geniuses, uh, not to brag, but on the tech team that have, have, for example, one of the big complaints we get is that uh, SCORM files uh, with some LMSs can be hard to update because mm. you, know, you get a new version, particularly with like, Office 365 and Gmail, there's always new stuff. And with us, you know, we're constantly doing like, uh, you know, Spanish translations and French translations and this sort of thing. Every time there's a new translation, it's a new SCORM file and, and you know, who has time to update all that? Well, we built or they built self-updating SCORM files. So you install yeah. it once and then it updates itself each time a, a student opens it to bring down any new content that's, that's there. Um, one of the things we're looking at now is moving training beyond the LMS and putting it into the learner's uh, workflow. 
So particularly with Microsoft Teams, we're, we're big fans of Microsoft Teams. Uh, obviously, we've been training on Microsoft for a long time, so we're kind of you know, in that wheelhouse. But our staff has been uh, you know, very uh, built around Microsoft Teams for about two years now, where uh, all of our internal projects are managed through Teams. Uh, most of our files are shared in Microsoft Teams. All of our meetings happen inside Microsoft Teams. And uh, again, one of our guys on the technical team uh, said, hey, what if we took our courses and put them inside Microsoft Teams? And so they've, they've built a way to do that. Um, they've technically built a way where it can do that and still communicate user activity back to the, L back to the LMS or the LRS. Um, that's, that's still a, um, it, it's a work in progress. It's supposed to officially launch later this month. But so we're trying to do a little bit of both. We're trying to make it easy for people who want the training to be in the LMS because you know, there's a lot of uh, compliance situations and other situations where you want to make sure you're documenting uh, that the learner has mm -hmm. taken a certain course, mm -hmm. particularly for compliance situations, but also for some leadership and some software training. Uh, but then there's also situations where just for the sake of uh, facilitating those people who want to upskill themselves um, to make the training easier uh, by putting it directly in their regular workflow. So having that accessible inside Microsoft Teams, uh, or we're also looking at like Slack and mobile apps and things like that. I, I think the key is to try to meet the learner wherever it's easiest for them. And it's on that very topic right there, do you have any ahas or insights? I mean, are people taking a break at work and pulling up their phone, you know, and they're getting, getting a cup of coffee or, and then that's where they're, they're, they're doing that is, are they still sitting at their desk? Is this a group thing? Is this a, I mean, what are the, again, just is sort of any aha moments about how, I, I love the idea of this workflow training, right? It's, mm -hmm. I, I will credit you with coining that term, even though it's probably been out there for a no, while. It's been around. <laughs> I won't take credit, but thank you. <laughs> but you know, this is when in this in the e-learning success summit this was something a lot of people talked about it's just you know it's it's why are we breaking up our day even though again for some mm -hmm. compliance trainings and for some you know just sort of regulatory things it's really important to just say look we're going to take out that hour we're going to go do it we're going to check the box we're going to all that stuff but for most of us if it's hey look I, I need to know how to do that excel formula or i need to know how to update that website or gosh i really want that new sales technique you know this is during my day is is it just hey I'm I'm in my browser I'm doing email like oh, I need that and I'm and I'm and I'm flipping over there to do it or is it I'm asking the question in Slack or, or or Teams and somebody sends me you know a link or am I am I taking a break and looking at my mobile phone or probably all of the above? <laughs> well, I, yeah, I, all of the above. I mean, it, it depends on the user, depends on the situation. But the interesting thing that that we've seen around here and, and the reason that we've got a lot of excitement around this this Teams implementation of our training is um, once we started testing it, which was maybe, I don't know, six weeks ago, beginning of August or maybe end of July, um, we found a lot of situations where, because we had the, the learning in our team's environment and all of our people are inside teams, we started to notice situations where when somebody had a question about how to do something, they were popping over to the team's channel where we had the training. And they were, um, you know, in some cases, obviously for us, it was because they wanted to see, well, do we have Spanish on that course yet? And they could check that. But in some cases it was, you know, like you say, it was, uh, well, how do we do that in Excel? I remember, and this is often the case, you know, it's that kind of post-training reinforcement. I remember there's a way to do that. I remember seeing something about that. Mm. I forget how to do it. Mm. And if they can just two clicks and be over and, and be looking at the course and all of our courses are searchable. So you could type in, you know, um, uh, you know, pivot tables and, right, sure. and it'll show you the, the lessons yeah. that relate to pivot tables or whatever. 
again, making it as simple as possible. Um, but you do see situations where uh, managers are using it in a staff meeting. We've done that also, uh, you know, where we had, uh, I really wanted a few months ago, we went through a period where I wanted all of our staff to have kind of a, a baseline in marketing training to kind of understand how you communicate, um, whether you're a, you know, a blog writer or a social media writer, or even a product designer, uh, to understand the, the types of language and the types of things that are important when you're communicating with a customer. And so as, as, a, as, a, as a company, we went through our uh, Marketing 101 course um, just to make sure everybody kind of had that baseline. So you, you see a little bit of both. Um, the, the weirdest use case that, that I've come across was uh, we, got, we got feedback from a student at a major university that her professor was uh, teaching a class on Microsoft Access and he would teach a little bit and then he would turn on one of our videos and he would take a break for a little bit. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it, it sounds a little bit lazy when I say it that way, but really I think it's a great way to break up the day. You know, you're always looking for ways to engage learner, learners in different ways. If you're a teacher, especially in an academic environment where you're in front of a class all day, you know, hey, totally a great, great time to sit down, you know, check your email or do whatever, you know, let the video teach them. And then just like that flipped classroom, then be available to discuss it, answer questions, work through activities together after the video is over. Mm -hmm. So lots of different ways. Well, and you know, as we've, we've discussed on the podcast here a few times and in the summit, there's nothing more invigorating, but also nothing more exhausting than human interaction. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the, one of this, it's this thing that has been cracked open by, by the COVID crisis, but also is just such a deep and wide topic about, so there's so much importance in that human interaction and yet the kernels of knowledge are out there that we can pull down where as i'm as we're kind of thinking about okay i'm, I'm in teams and i jump over to the training channel and this and that talk to me about reinforcing learning right and then sort of as a subtopic there how do i show what i've learned to either a future hmm. employer or my boss or whatever like how do i prove those skills because I, I, you know, I'm, I, I'll use myself as an example. I'm a classic entrepreneur. I've been around for 15 years. Every, every time I go to a dinner party he says, Hey, what do you do? And I'm just like, Oh, you know, because I've had 20 professions and I have this skill set that's a jack of who knows what kind of all trades. Right. <laughs> and I think that that's becoming more and more common where I do a little bit of web development. I do a little bit of you know, copywriting. I do a lot of design. Mm -hmm. and, 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 but as people grow their careers and do these micro learnings, is it, I put it all on my LinkedIn profile and just, you know, have all those tags. Is it somehow, do I have a project that I show people that I know how to do that? Like what's been your experience about not only remembering the learning and showing that I can do it, but then being able to demonstrate that to others and, and in a, in a saleable kind of way for a career. Yeah. It's an interesting question. And I've always had kind of a, um, contrarian experience with that. So I, I came up building IT businesses and I, I was building businesses in the 1990s. And at the time, uh, the CompTIA certifications uh, for IT professionals, the A plus certification, the network plus certification, these were like the hot things for people who were applying for tech jobs, uh, particularly in the, on the service and consulting side of things. But the flip side of that was there were so many uh, training centers that were popping up with these boot camps, you know, mm -hmm. learn to pass your A plus in six weeks or three weeks or two weeks. Uh, and it's basically a crash course on, uh, you know, here's what all the questions are going to be. Here's what the answers need to be. Yeah, sure. Teach to the test. Yeah. Go get the, go get the certificate, then you can get a job. Well, the, the, the problem is as an employer, 
that doesn't help me. So, you know, so that certificate effectively becomes worthless. Uh, and, and that's that's the hard part today. But we're experimenting, experimenting a little bit with um, some of these uh, badges, like the Open Badges Project, to see if there's a way to, to link with that. And one of the ways we're trying to tie in with that is um, I saw a presentation at uh, DevLearn a few years ago, and, and also the same presentation at ATD, I think last year from uh, Dr. Art Khan. I don't know if you've, if you've seen him, but he, he presents at a lot of these um, conferences. And it, it, he, he uh, used to work for Google. He, he does a lot on neuroscience and how the brain remembers things. You know, what causes us to remember and, and why do we forget? Mm. And he had this great line in his presentation where he said, um, if you're building training, without a plan for post-training reinforcement, you're committing training malpractice. Mm. <laughs> and uh, when I heard that, it was just like, you know, you know, stuck right in my head because that's, that's what I do for a living. I make training and I don't want to commit training malpractice. Um, but, you know, looking into it, it, it's, you know, there's that old cliche that after you take a class, after you take a course, after you finish a workshop, two days later, you've forgotten 90% of what you learned if you haven't used it. Uh, and, and there's truth in that. There's this, you know, the Ebbinghaus forgetting curve that we've known about since the 1800s. Um, the interesting thing as I started studying it was uh, it's, it's a, it's a well-known problem, but there's also a lot of well-known solutions. You know, there's, there's a lot of studies on what we can do to help people remember what they've learned after they take the course. The challenge is um, implementing it because really what you want to do is you want to engage with them about the knowledge that they learned on a, a scheduled basis, on a periodic basis. You know, so uh, a day or two later, you ask them a question about what they learned. And a couple of days after that, you ask them a question about what they learned. And that triggers the old part of our brain that's basically the one that's trying to decide what do I keep and what do I forget to say, okay, Stevens had to use this a few times. Maybe this is something I hang on to. And you do it enough times, um, you know, covering enough of the material that was in the course that it starts to stick and it becomes part of your long-term memory. Um, the challenge is how do you do that? You know, if you're a classroom teacher, you can't really phone up all of your students a couple of days after the class and ask them some questions. You can maybe shoot out a, an email. Um, but again, if you've got six classes and you're doing a class every month or what, you know, it, it becomes unfeasible. So there's a lot of these apps out there that, that are designed to work with um, post-training reinforcement, uh, Booster Learn and uh, MindMarker and a lot of LMSs have a booster function now. So we decided to do the same thing inside Microsoft Teams. And so we built another app inside Microsoft Teams called BrainBot um, specifically for that purpose, um, just to interact with people after they finish a course. Mm. Uh, because, you know, we put a lot of heart and soul into creating our training courses. We hate to think that um, we hate to think that our effort is wasted, but from our standpoint as a vendor too, we hate to think that our customers' money is wasted. If they've spent, you know, a thousand dollars on uh, harassment training for all their employees, and then a month later, yeah, they can check the box that says everybody got the harassment training, but nobody actually remembers what they what they learned. Um, that's not really helping anybody in the long term. So, um, to have an opportunity where BrainBot, again, in their natural workflow inside Microsoft Teams, is going to reach out you know, 10, 15 times over a two or three month period to ask questions, to send handouts, to, um, you know, send uh, reinforcement videos, you know, that sort of thing, um, helps to make that investment more, more worthwhile, both both on the, on the financial side for the employer, but also on the time for the user, because who wants to sit through a training course that is, you know, not relevant and that you're not going to remember six months uh, later anyway, so. Mm, that's exciting stuff. You are the first person to talk about uh, take us into the bot world in, in terms of reinforcement. I'm, I'm really excited for people to check that out. Last question for you. I've been asking this of everybody. Um, you know, look in your crystal ball and tell me what you see, you know, six months from now, uh, you know, if, if you can, a year from now. 
is your business fundamentally training? Are your, are your clients fundamentally training? Are we going back to what would be considered normal? Um, or are we, you know, this is it, we're here and, you know, we're all kind of just on the ride and, and got to figure it out as we go. <laughs> well, I, I'll always hedge any predictions about the future with, with this little nugget. Um, I started my first business in 19, uh, it was about 1990, and it was a computer repair business. And people at the time would say, oh, that's, that's a good business to be in, computer repair, computers are kind of, you know, up and coming thing. And my response was always, yeah, but five years from now, computers are going to be so easy to use and so reliable that they won't really need computer repair guys anymore. Well, <laughs> yeah, we, we still do. So my predictive powers <laughs> are, are suspect. Absolutely. But um, I, I will say this, though. I, I think, um, and this is, you know, kind of, again, contrarian to where we are we've seen this huge uptick in online learning. I mean, our usage for our courses is up, in some cases, 500% or more um, since March, mm. um, which is great. Uh, I mean, it's great for us. Uh, I do think we'll see a little bit of a snapback. Um, I, I think kind of two things are going on. I think one is a lot of companies and a lot of individuals are becoming more comfortable with online training than they thought they would be, you know, six months ago. Uh, but I also think that there's that we're starting to recognize the situations where live training is better. Uh, and there's always going to be a need for classroom training. There's always going to be a need for one-on-one -on -one instruction. There's always going to be a need for ILT. Uh, and I think that once we're able to do that safely, uh, I think we'll see a little bit of a snapback. And I think that, uh, you know, classroom training will be the trendy thing for a little bit, you know, for a few months. And then I think it'll level out. I think it'll level out maybe a little bit more, a little higher level for the online, a little bit lower level for the classroom. But I think it'd really be better for everybody because as we've learned, there's some things that I think work better in online training, uh, particularly compliance. There's no sense tying up a teacher's time and, you know, booking a classroom and, and having everybody away from their desk at a specified time to go through compliance training when that sort of thing can be done so well online. Um, likewise with a lot of software training. Uh, but there's some things like sales training, like some management training, like some communication training, where just nothing beats having a live instructor to work through exercises, to do some role playing, uh, to, to have that camaraderie of going through as a cohort. I mean, there's some of those things that I think we're missing today that we'll, you know, we'll want to get back to next year. Mm, I can already see the meme now, you know, hashtag, you know, we're having a training party, a live training party. <laughs> Jim, this has been a fantastic conversation. Uh, excellent to have you guest. Uh, a font of knowledge and experience. I really, really appreciate it. I hope that we get to, to follow up with you maybe in six months or so and, and see how things are going. We'll see how good my prediction powers are, but sure, I'd love to. Thanks again for tuning in to today's episode of the eLearning Podcast. If you like what you've learned uh, today in this episode, I encourage you to either follow us or subscribe to us on Facebook or Twitter or YouTube. And please do share this episode with one or two of your colleagues or friends. Also, I just want to remind you that you can level up your online learning game with all of the information that's available at the eLearning Success Summit. You can get your free ticket at eLearningSuccessSummit.com. And finally, you can also stay up to date on everything that's important, all the news and the resources for e-learning professionals at lmspulse.com. Get our free newsletter by just going to lmspulse.com today. Thanks again.